Charles or John Wesley, an evangelist in in um, in England, there was revival going on. A lot of you know God was moving in many people's lives in England, um, and there was a man who's, who basically sent a letter to John uh, John Wesley and said, "Here, look, this is what's happened to my son. I want you to know." And the letter, basically, the gist of the letter that John Wesley read was that this Christian man had a son who was prodigal. He just, he left the home for no reason, no good reason. And um, he was lost, too, this son. And the, the, the father's writing, telling John Wesley what happened. He said, you know, God gave this son, my son, space, time to repent, and he gave him a heart to repent, and my son repented. That is, he broke down and said, all right, I, my, I've not only blown it with my life, but my soul is in danger. God saved my soul. And the, and the young man became a Christian and got saved. And he's writing, telling John Wesley this. And, um, but then the letter goes on to say, but he's, he's condemned to die. He's going to get executed. And so, oh. But then the, the dad writes and describes in here what happened to his son. He actually saw his son again. And he saw the, what he describes as his peace. He says in his letter, he says, and we don't know why he was condemned to die. He, he must have committed some severe crimes against society. And so he was on his way to the, the platform to be executed. His dad says, you know, his peace, though, of my son increased daily till the very day he was executed. In fact, even when he came out of the condemnation room in his execution clothes, he walked out of there, and you can see cheerfulness and composure on his countenance. And the dad was fascinated with what happened to his son. Now, he would have liked to have had his son back, but if he could have his son back lost... Or have not have his son back, but saved and be executed. I think he'd choose the latter. But he's describing this son walking out there. And he says his composure and cheerfulness uh, were amazing on his countenance. And it amazed all the spectators. I thought, this is odd. But he walked his way there to the execution uh, place, the platform, and he was executed. And his dad says there was a... Even the execution platform could not take away that joy. You know, because of everything that God is to me, then the Bible's teaching, I must be a joyful Christian. Now, we talked about sorrow a couple weeks ago. There's a place for sorrow. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a place for everything. You know, there's a, place to, there's a time to throw away stuff. There's a time to keep stuff. There's a time to uh, sow. There's a time to reap. There's a time to cry. There's a time to laugh. There's a time for everything. There is. There's a time to be sad. But this, ta- this passage says through all of it, there's always needs to be a rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. How is it that we are in our mind, in our attitude toward the Lord? Some of us get completely undone over minor inconveniences toward God. We think God's just messed up our life because, you know, we had a flat tire. No, it is inconvenient to have a flat tire. It is. I don't like it. Or, but we think, God, you're just so terrible because I got a flat tire. Oh, really? 
Sometimes uh, we, are, we don't rejoice in the Lord, we're grumpy toward the Lord. Sometimes we are complaining toward the Lord. There's a, at least one million people that did that in the Old Testament. Time after time after time after time, and it was a signal that they didn't even have any faith, and they didn't make it to the land. Sometimes we don't rejoice in the Lord, we grump at the Lord, we complain against the Lord, we, uh, we are griping against the Lord. Sometimes we're half-hearted in the Lord or at the Lord. Sometimes we are bland toward the Lord or negligent toward the Lord. But when it says here, rejoice in the Lord, you know what it means? It, it, it means, the word rejoice means to really be enthusiastic. Now, wait a minute. There's some of us, our personalities are chill. And I, I used to be one of them. I'm a little not now. Okay. And that's okay, but you can't be chill toward God because that's where he says, I don't care what your personality is. It says, rejoice in the Lord, be enthusiastic toward the Lord. Well, I'm not a charismatic pastor. Neither am I. I'm not charismatic, uh, Pentecostal or anything. But the Bible still says, be glad, be happy, clap toward the Lord, raise your hands if you want. It says all that stuff. Now, you don't want to go out of hand and start causing things disarray in a church service or speaking, say you're speaking in tongues when you're really just uttering uh, Japanese words backwards. You don't want to do stuff like that. But it does say rejoice in the Lord. That is, be glad toward Him, be enthusiastic concerning Him. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul says. He says it several times. In fact, later in chapter 4, which it comes at another angle. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he adds, always. <laughs> now, we'll get to that one later. That means all the time. And again, I say, oh, he's repeating himself. Ugh, preachers repeat themselves. Rejoice. All right. Sometimes that's how we are. You know, it's okay if you get, man, I get excited if, uh, if we win a sport, you know. Um, the... Adam and, um, and Chris and Johnny playing for Tri-City, and they won a, was it this last Tuesday, Adam, that, that one game against the, the Catholic school? And uh, they had a couple really good shots. Chris had a buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter, and Adam Sr. jumps out and just says, yeah! And he nearly gone out onto the court, you know, all excited. He did go out onto the court, all excited. I was about to call security, say, get this guy out of here. You know, and then another guy, another dad, he's like six foot six. Um, he jumped out. He's all excited, too. And we were excited for these boys. They, they won a game against a team that, that should have, this team should have beat you guys. And, but but they, they won. And uh, we were rejoicing. You know, it's, it's okay, and it's appropriate to rejoice and stuff. You know, be, if you're, you, know you, you win something, yeah, be happy. You get something that tastes good, be happy about it. You get a raise, be happy about it. That's good. Okay, that's fine. But there's going to come times where you're going to lose and food's going to taste yucky and you're going to get fired. So you can do it. You might, some days you can't, you can't. But one thing you can always do that always is good and never changes and that's constant in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning and that is the goodness of God himself. That's why I can rejoice in the Lord. I can't always rejoice in my kids. They're sometimes good, sometimes not. I can't always rejoice in myself because sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm not. Rejoice means to be clappy, glory in, be enthusiastic about, take delight. The Bible says, you know, Galatians 5.22, there's a verse, Galatians 5.22, it says that the fruit of the, 
the Spirit. Okay, let me pause a second. Is anybody growing anything in here in a garden besides weeds? What are you growing, Tress? Tomatoes. Okay, the fruit of Tress right now is tomatoes. What are you growing? Oranges, all right. The fruit of Becky is oranges. Anybody else growing something? Jalapenos. I got some in my fridge. I haven't tried them. My fruit of my mom is jalapenos, some broccoli. She's got a cool planter. So the fruit of some of y'all is this fruit, this vegetable. That's the fruit. That's the result of your working something. You're working this ground, and the fruit of Elaine Henry, some jalapenos and something else that might make its way into a salad. And the fruit of Becky is this, some oranges. And, and um, the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit working this soil. The Holy Spirit, the farmer, working this soil, me, who is the fruit of the Spirit. If He's working me, is love. Galatians 5.22, joy, peace. And it goes on down the line to describe some other good produce. But one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And I need that. I need Him to develop that fruit in me, is joy. You know, real uh, divine gladness. A, a, a Godward gladness is joy. Boy, and I tell you, as you're looking at Philippians, you're like, well, Paul didn't just glibly say this. He said it several times, and he's exemplified it. Again, this is the guy, this author is the very man who was unfairly arrested after doing nothing but benevolent work and gospel work, unfairly arrested, unfairly accused, unfairly put in chains, didn't have any prisoner's rights, you know. Actually, he did, but they didn't honor him. They didn't honor his prisoner's rights as a Roman. And... Um, unfairly and beaten and bloody and put in a probably a cold prison in Acts chapter 16 and yet he sang and praises to God and rejoiced he and Silas so here's a let's just ask this question do I rejoice in the Lord now I'm look there's days where um, you don't there's days where you're happy. There's days where you're not. There are days where those things are justified of not being happy or being happy. But I can always have, I can always uh, express praise, express gratitude, express thanks, have an element of enthusiasm in the Lord all the time. So that's a cancer patient that said that. Three things. What is rejoicing in the Lord? Number one, a relationship issue. Number two, a realization issue. Number three, a repeatable issue. Let's consider those three statements there that we learn. Number one, this whole thing, right, this sounds interesting, rejoice in the Lord. Well, you know what this really is? It's what it sounds like. It's a relationship issue. Me, Paul says, my brethren, I'm one of those. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, then that means there needs to be some kind of relationship there. If I don't have a relationship with the Lord, I I can't get too happy about somebody I don't really know, you know? Um, 
I can, on the surface, get to know people, but when I get to really know somebody who's proven to be good, man, I can get excited. And the more we know God, the more you'll fear Him in a good way, and the more you'll love Him, and the more you'll be fascinated. So this is a relationship issue. So that when He, so that when he says, when the Bible says right there, simple, in one verse, we're just like camping out right there. When it says, rejoice in the Lord, it means be enthusiastic in connection to my relationship with Him. Some of us are enthusiastic about your connection to somebody. Maybe some of us are, are you know, you might say my third cousin's half-brother's sister's cousin is a baseball player <laughs> for one year with the Montreal Expos. Do they still even exist? Anyways, <laughs> you might get all excited because you have some far-distant cousin that was one time famous for half of a season of baseball. I don't know. Uh, some of us have some... Have you ever looked... Do you ever... <laughs> You look at your genealogies, your ancestors, you're like, it, it can be good, it can be bad, you know? You might, well, I'm, I'm, I'm related to some famous person, you know? I, I told you that my, my mom said they did genealogies of, uh, through my mom's side, and, and, and we go back into this country and some interesting people, and, and then back into England, and, and uh, like, oh, we're related to William the Conqueror. I'm like, whoa, it's pretty cool. I'm like, who is this guy? Then I had to look him up. I'm like, eh, he had a lot of kids. He had a lot more kids. And then my daughter in college did a report on William the Conqueror, and she's like, Dad, 10% of a lot of people are related to him. <laughs> I was like, okay, never mind then, you know, rejoicing. Sometimes we, but, but here it's saying be enthusiastic about your connection to God. That's what it means. So there needs to be a relationship. In contrast, again, to I'm rejoicing. So, again, he's not saying rejoice in your circumstance. That let me rephrase it. He doesn't say rejoice at your circumstance. Rejoice at some calamity. Rejoice at some crime. That is madness. That's madness to say. Well, somebody got really hurt. Well, praise the Lord anyhow. Well, I'm going to praise the Lord, but I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be happy about a calamity. That's mindless. You weep with those that weep. You, you sympathize with those who are broken and have been violated and been hurt, or it's okay to weep. It's okay to recognize something's bad. I, I have some bad emotions about that. But nevertheless, I have a good God that's right. going to keep me anchored through all that. So, you don't, you do, so we, we don't rejoice at bad things. I always rejoice in the Lord, and I have to deal with bad things and find hope and anchor with God for my soul and my demeanor and my spirit and my emotions through those, but I can always rejoice in the Lord. So a relationship here, he's presuming a relationship is established. Presuming a relationship is established. Some of you, I think my father-in-law used to tell this story, and I remember I read it last night. There's a pastor name, I believe his name was Tom Wallace, and he, he tells a story about how uh, is in Maryland. He pastored a church in Maryland, <laughs> and he said there was a guy that got saved, and it was just amusing to him because he came and you know he didn't know much, but he got he became a Christian, got saved, and that I think it was that very afternoon they just went ahead and did some baptisms. <clears throat> and this guy was so excited, you know, he was glad to, to to find faith in Christ and trust Him, and things just changed in him in his in demeanor immediately. And they went down, and he. Went to he went, they even did a baptism. Like I said, I think right after the service, they did a baptism, some others. And this guy, they baptized this guy. He said he baptized him. When he brought him up out of the water, the guy was so excited, he didn't know what to say. 
He doesn't know the Christian lingo, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. He doesn't know that yet. So what he did was he did his best, I'm happy lingo toward God. You know what it was? He came out of the baptismal waters. He said, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog, like that. Man, that was the best thing he knew. And he's going to graduate from that and heard, praise the Lord. But that's what he said, man. He was excited. That was his thing of, yeah, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And uh, boy, that's, that's funny. So this is a, So when we're talking about this, we're like, okay, Rejoice in the Lord. Okay, it means I need to have a relationship with God. That means I need to be saved. If, I don't, if I've never been converted, never been born again, then I don't really know this. I need to be saved. And if I am saved, I need to cultivate my relationship with God too. That keeps us alive. So then this next thing is, so the next thing, what is rejoice in the Lord? What is this rejoice in the Lord stuff about? Well, it's talking about a relationship issue. Secondly, it's talking about a it's a realization issue. And that is this. Okay, rejoice in the Lord. It's a realization issue. That is this. Think of, think of uh, the Lord. And, okay, let me back up this way. Um, it's kind of like you, there's a nice place. How many of us like to go to SeaWorld? Anybody ever been to SeaWorld? Who's been there? You know what I like at SeaWorld? Of all things, the dog show. At SeaWorld, I like the dog show. I haven't been there in probably 10 years, but that was really, we love that one. But when I think of SeaWorld, I'm like, oh, yes, the dog show's there. I'm going to get excited about that. Yeah, and those big fat whales splashing people, and that's fine too. But walruses, you know, I get excited about the dog show. And so there's something I think of SeaWorld I'm, I'm, I rejoice in. Okay, so here's what this is saying here, with, back to Paul. It's saying, what, here's the Lord. What is in the Lord to rejoice about? What is in the Lord to rejoice about? I know what there is in SeaWorld for me to rejoice about. What is in the Lord? So I'm going to just go swiftly through some of these things. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, be happy in the Lord. What is there? What's there? Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. No, what is it? Okay, so here's what to rejoice in the Lord about. In the Lord is salvation. Well, I ought to get happy about somebody who's, who has saved me. I've been rescued. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. So, oh yeah. You get excited about somebody. You, you, you love and respect somebody who's bailed you out, who's helped you in some way. You rejoice in them. Well, God, I can rejoice in the Lord because He's saved my soul. Now, I have a claim on my soul, and it's evident by Him putting the Holy Spirit on me. But He, he, is, he, he has saved me, and I'm going to feel the full realization of that after I die. Think about this. Think about so a lot of us, we, we're, Christ, we're, we're Americans. We exercise a lot of control in our life. In fact, we've been upset about that the last couple of years. We control things. We decide things. Yeah. You know, when you die, you have no control. Imagine yourself dying, like in the next hour. What are you going to do? You've never floated around before, have you? How do you know you have any control in that soul? When we die, you have no control. But if you ask somebody to save your soul and take it now, 
He has made a promise that he's going to take it up with him. And you'll be safe, absent from that body, and present with the Lord. So if you're not saved today, you better trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior who came here, paid for your sins, rose from the dead, and says, trust me. And if you trust him, he's your uh, transport and he's your salvation. And I rejoice in that and I'm trusting in that. So what is there to rejoice in the Lord and the Lord is salvation? Number two, in the Lord, under the subpoint of number two, in the Lord is constance. Aren't you glad that is God's immutable? God, in, I quoted it earlier, James 1.17, in, in the Lord, in whom, is no, uh, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know, I vary. And you vary. And I mean in negative ways. Could be a very dependable person there. Like, but not your trust in man. But God is constant in whom is no, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's what he says. In the Lord, I can rejoice in the Lord. Lord, I'm so glad you're constant. This boss isn't. This job isn't. I thought my price of my house was or my car was or my 403 something something is. And my I, that's not. But I'm glad you are constant. My inheritance in you is fixed and it's not going to get diminished. I can rejoice in the Lord because of His constancy. What else? Why else can I rejoice in the Lord? Again, this is a realization. Realize His salvation you can rejoice in. Realize His constancy you can rejoice in. When you realize that He has a purpose, you can rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Lord. Realize why? Because He has purpose. In for every Christian, for everything that happens, I can't speak to everybody, but I know for every Christian, those who are called according to His purpose, it says he works all things together for good. And it's sometimes hard to see it developing, but he does. I remember when they built this Mesa Art Center over there in Mesa at Center Street in Maine. I mean, I drove by it a lot because we worked nearby there. And they were just digging it down. I'm like, nothing's going on in this place, man. They're just digging a hole. Well, they were digging a hole. They had to build down before they could build up. But I'm like, something was developing. And sometimes God's demolishing all kinds of stuff in your life. And you're like, what's he doing? I don't know, but I know that all I can say, and I, I can't tell you the outcome, but it's going to be good. I have to say that because I believe the Bible because he says I work all things together for good. He didn't say all things between now and there are good, but I'm going to work with it. I'm going to work all things together for good. You know, I think about the life of Jacob. Let's use Jacob as, a, as an illustration here for a minute. Jacob... I'm going to see if you can quickly follow me on his life. Jacob was, and Esau were brothers. Jacob had some bad character traits. He deceived his brother a few times. And one of the things, finally, his brother Esau wanted to kill him. And so Jacob had his brother wanting to kill him. So Jacob had to leave the home and he went to the other uh, land where some of his um, uh, distant relatives lived. And, he, and so he had to leave because of his brother and... Uh, and then he joins up with Laban and gets working for Laban and he wants to marry Rachel. He thinks on wedding night he's marrying Rachel. The, the father-in-law sneaks in the other, uh, the other sister and he realizes the next morning, I didn't marry Rachel, that's the one I got. And, and he got, he got a kind of a bait and switch thing. Oh, man, kind of some letdown there. You know, the hands up taking on both of them as a wife and then their handmaid. So he took on too many wives. And so that created some issues. 
And then his wife's kind of started having issues, a little having baby competition. And then, and then uh, as his boys got older, um, a few of them got really, really, really mad with this group, the Shechemites. And there was a man there who liked their sister, and he took them, and he lay with her, and he wanted to marry her. The brothers got really mad. Now, this isn't Jacob. This is the brothers. They got really mad, and they said, hey, you know, and they ended up, they ended up killing the city of Shechemites. And when Jacob heard about it, he's like, boys, what have you done? I mean, I've had my boys do stuff, break stuff. This is a big one where they, they just kill off a whole city because they're mad how they treated their little And so Jacob's having this stuff happen. Then Jacob's trying to leave Laban, and Laban's tricking him. It's all kinds of family mess. Finally, Jacob leaves Laban and goes back to, he actually, in my story, I'm backing up a little bit, but he goes into the promised land. He goes from that distant land up in there, uh, kind of in the Iraq, Iran area, goes back down into the promised land of Canaan and uh, has some problems there with some of his boys being jealous or being envious and hateful towards Joseph. This is Jacob. I'm talking about the dad, okay? Went from the brother hating him, went from uh, uh, some issues with his father-in-law getting tricked into a certain wife and his sons killing off the city. Uh, and, now, and now his boys are upset at this one who's incredibly gifted, uh, what would be his second youngest, to end up being his second youngest son. At the time, his youngest son and his other brothers kind of persecute him. And then they find out, then he finds out one day his brothers, his, the, the sons come to him and say, oh yeah, here, here's, here's, Joseph's, here's Joseph's garment, it's all bloody. Uh, he must have got torn of a beast. And Jacob's thinking, oh, my son died. The son who seemed to have God's hand on him, even telling me some things that seemed to be visions from God. And, he's, and he was just distraught and he was sad. Well, the brothers were lying about it. They ended up selling him and he's now Joseph's in Egypt. Nobody knows what's going on. Joseph's in Egypt. And he's working his way through problems too. And meanwhile, Jacob, you think about Jacob towards the end of his life, this guy's sad. If you read here, man, I feel bad for Jacob. And then, then there's a famine in the land. It's getting harder. You're like, this isn't working together for good. Well, it's getting harder. There's a famine in the land. So Jacob's like, boys, you better go find us some food. When I say boys, these are adult men. Some of them may have been grandpas themselves. They got together, the sons of Jacob, uh, except Benjamin, except Joseph, they go down into Egypt, and they go down into Egypt because that's where the food is. They hear there's a bunch of you know think, good things going on there, and somebody, somebody pretty wise is helping to run the country. And they get there, and they, they're, they're, they don't know that they're talking with Joseph. Joseph realizes it's them, and there's this whole another drama that goes on that they don't know they're dealing with their brother. They didn't even know he was alive. But the brother, the brother who they think is an Egyptian interrogates them and says, if you're a true man... Oh, I heard you got a younger brother. If you're two men, go get your younger brother, bring him here, and then I'll give you some more food. And they're like, why would he ask this? What's going on here? Bring our younger brother, but our, but our other brother's gone. And, 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 and if my dad, if we bring this other brother and something happens to him, my dad is going to be so upset. He's, a, he's, just, he's already so distraught towards the end of his life anyways. And that man, that Egyptian who was Joseph, says, nope, bring him. And it was a whole nother test on their character because he knew the true character of them. And so they go back and they tell, and by the way, they had bags of, of goods and Joseph made sure they put some extra goody stuff in there for them. They came back with their grain and their money was in it. it, was a, it but anyways, they came back and they told Jacob. I said, this man is not going to give us any more until we bring this younger brother. 
And Jacob's like, why did you tell him you had a younger brother? You know, shouldn't have told him that. He, 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 I've already lost Joseph, and now the, the Benjamin, ugh. And then they open their bags up, the grains are, then the money's there. And then they think, oh my goodness, this guy's going to think we stole the money and took the grain. And so Jacob's thinking, oh my goodness. And you know what he says? He says, all these things are against me. That's what he says. You think about his life against him, against him, against him, against him. He says, all these things are against me. Fine. And he gave over that last boy to go up with him, putting him a risk, taking his youngest boy, Benjamin, whom Joseph we don't think had ever seen. And he goes up there. Another part of the drama takes place, and they get reconciled. The next time they come back, they said, Dad, it's Joseph. He's alive. And he's like, yeah, right. And then he sees a train of wagons and supplies and wagons and supplies, and he goes, something happened there. He must be, and it revived Jacob. And he goes back into Egypt with the rest of the family because they got to get out of that land because it's a famine. They go back into Egypt as a temporary thing for whatever certain amount of years. And he gets there, he's like, my son is alive. And you know what? Joseph, at the end of the book, tops it off. And he says, listen, guys, you all meant this evil unto me, but God meant it unto good. They never, I don't think any of those guys saw that. And all I'm saying is this, there's, we, I know we camped out more on something. When I think of rejoicing in the Lord, I don't know how everything's going to work out for me or you in our calamities, the earthly calamities and disappointments and our certain spiritual algebra that doesn't seem to add up. But I know it's going to work together for good. I have to believe it because it's in the Bible and I already see some examples of it. So by that, I can rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord, you can rejoice in His purpose. You can rejoice in His presence. He says, another thing, He says, I am with you always. I am with you always. I can rejoice in that. You can rejoice in His provision. In the Lord is what? Why should I rejoice in the Lord? Well, because He's got everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you believe that? Uh, I have been young, the psalmist says, and am now old. Yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. In the Lord is provision, the Lord is his presence, and the Lord is his power. Well, I can rejoice in the Lord because that's my power source for my soul and spirit. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, Paul later says. He giveth power unto the faint, and unto them that have no might, he increaseth strength, Isaiah 40, verse 29. I can rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because... The, it's also because there's practical wisdom and there's, there's, uh, there's uh, words of life. When I know that if I go to God, He has some words for me and they give me life, I might go to another person. The words may not give me life. It may not speak life into me. But when I go to God, I, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because when I go to God, He's going to speak words of life into me. The psalmist says, I rejoice at thy word as one that finds great spoil, not spoiled food. It means like a treasure. I, uh, I read about a guy who was in the hospital, and he, had, he already had one of his legs amputated. And um, he goes to the hospital, though, and he had to have another leg amputated. For whatever reason, I don't know if he had a diabetic issue. I have no idea. But his friend was a pastor, 
And his friend came and visited him after he had that second leg amputated. And he's in the, he's in the hospital and he talks to the guy and he says, his friend, the pastor friend says, he says, you seem happy and enthusiastic. He says, everyone tells me you're the happiest one in this hospital. He said, are you putting, is this a put on? He goes, no. He says, I'm not, he, no, no. He says, I'm, a, I'm as happy as can be. He says, uh, and so his friend says, well, tell me your secret. What, why? Why are you as happy as can be? And he's laying in his bed, and you see that little book over there? He points over to the little book. It was his Bible. He says, that little book lying on that table, he says, that's my medicine. That's where I get my medicine. And he said, when I feel a little low, I just read that book. And that's how the guy stays rejoicing. I know there's more that can help, but that is where it starts. Wow, it's a realization issue. You know, okay, how many of us have gone, okay, now, I know one of our sisters is from Colorado. When I remember going from like Colorado to northern Texas, kind of that, where am I at here? Like this? Um, man, is, am I, am, tell me, am I right, like northern Texas is like nothing? Am I right? Tell me right. Does anybody say amen? Okay. It's like nothing. I mean, I remember driving to upstate New York with my grandparents one time, and I remember Texas. I remember that there was nothing to remember of Texas, you know, <laughs> in that northern part. You know, we were going through whatever I, something that was there, and I remember driving, it was like, straight. Grandma, Grandpa, I'm going to sleep in the camper here. And I went and about, crawled in the back and slept. And I remember you can see a long way. I think between like Colorado and Texas, there's not much. Isn't that right? Is, you, okay. Uh, Ann would know that there. And um, like one guy says, you can, in Texas, you know, your dog could run away, and three days later you can still see him from the front porch. <laughs> you know? There he is. Saw him two days ago. He's still running, you know? <laughs> And so, but what I'm saying is, when you go that route, like, what is there to see? Ah, there's nothing in there. There's nothing there. And, and it's, you know, you go to some place, oh, there's nothing to it. You go to, some, uh, you go to some drive, oh, it wasn't what I thought. But in the Lord, there's something there. There's something to speak about. There's something to rejoice about. In the Lord, if we're to believe the Bible, otherwise, just pack it up, throw it in the garbage, go do something else. But otherwise, if we're going to believe the Bible, yeah, there is a lot to rejoice in. And then this is last of all, won't be as long here. This is a repeatable issue. It's a relationship issue, a realization issue, and that's a repeatable issue. So let's go back to our verse. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, finally, my brethren. By the way, finally means I'm turning a corner. It doesn't mean I'm wrapping this up. It means we're transitioning our subjects. My brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now notice the next statement. To write the same things to you, and I mean, I think what he's saying is for me to write what I just said to you, to say that, to me indeed is not grievous. It's not grievous for me as a man who's, who's incarcerated to be writing to you and say, hey, rejoice in there. It doesn't grieve me to say that to you. He's doing it himself. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. What he's doing is he's repeating himself. He's already said rejoice in the Lord in this book. 
he's, he will say it again. He's repeating it. And he says, it's safe for me to repeat this. It's safe for me to issue this, to rejoice in the Lord. You know, look what he says. For you, look at the end of the verse. It is safe. You know, there's some things that, you know, there's some people you want to brag about. It's not safe to. Um, man, who was I reading about the other day? Somebody was all, maybe it was some politician or somebody, they were just going on and on, and then the next week something bad happened with this guy. I can't remember what it was. But um, he says it's safe. Okay, you know, it's not safe to tempt God. It's not safe to gripe against God. It's not safe to flirt with sin. It's not safe to... Uh, rejoice in evil, but it's always safe and appropriate to rejoice in the Lord. One man said that joy in the Christian is like the flag which is flown outside of the castle of the, is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. You know, they do that, and they used to do that in a castle. A king, when the king arrived at the castle, hoist up that particular flag. He's here. And man said again, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Does my flag show hoisted? You know, think about this. A couple more things will wind this down. Think about this. You, you know, I think about the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, we, we have our banner. It's in Spanish. So I've got to get my English one back up. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. We, in English, looking unto Jesus. So that verse, listen to what Hebrews 12 says. Two says so it says uh, looking unto Jesus that is as we're going through our life we look at we look at Jesus and what it was like for him and what he is and we look unto Jesus who the author and the finisher of our faith he began and finished the race of life also the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was whoa wait a minute who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne. So what, what it's saying there is Jesus in his race, which is his life, in his, his lifestyle, his ups and downs he went through, and he felt sorrow and hunger and pain and all that like we do. And, but when he got to the cross and he was crucified on the cross, and that whole thing, it says, he endured how? He was, he was drawn because of the joy that was set before him. What joy did Jesus have? You and I. He sees you and I redeemed, his bride. All Christians are going to be cons are considered his bride. And when he thinks, I've got to die on this cross, I've got to be forsaken of all my friends, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be left alone, I'm going to be hungry, I'm going to be thirsty. I'm going to be naked on this cruel, rugged cross. My father's going to turn his back. I'm going to be utterly left alone. It'll be hell on earth on a cross. Yep. But the, he said, I see joy. I see the whole, this is what it's going to take to get this host of my, to get this host of believers, to get my bride redeemed. And that he had joy. He had, what I'm saying is he had joy toward you and I. So I can have joy toward him. Wow. Wow. So Adoniram Judson was a famous missionary to, um, we would call it 
Myanmar today, it's kind of Southeast Asia. It was Burma in his day. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, he was, he, he actually came home, I don't know how many times he came home from his missionary work, maybe once or twice, from being in Burma, coming back to the United States. He was a pioneer missionary there. Well, I read about how that one time when he came back home on furlough, he, of course, he arrives, he arrived in the East Coast at Connecticut, and when he gets there, there was a, um, a dock, or what do they call it, the, um, um, the, the, where your, your ships can, I guess you'd call it a ship, where the ships can dock. And um, there was when he when he when he when he got off his ship, there was a boy there along that dock and saw him, and said, "Who is this guy?" Because there was something joyous about him. Who is this guy? And this little boy is like, "What is this? I see this. It's different. This is different." And he runs and he finds his preacher, his minister, and he says, "Who? Who? who here, this guy that just came here. Who is this?" And so his pastor comes and come, he brought him down to the dock and the pastor, oh, it's Adoniram Judson. So the pastor started talking to Adoniram Judson. And the pastor, the pastor never answered the kid's question. The kid's still standing there. His pastor's there and the pastor's just talking back and forth. Maybe he didn't listen to them and say, hey, Mr. Judson, I don't know. But he's standing there, he's waiting for the pastor to talk back to him. But he's, he's standing there and he's, oh, Mr. Judson. And so the pastor's just in, in, engrossed in this conversation with this great pioneer missionary, Adam Judson. By the way, the guy suffered tremendously. If you read his biography, tremendous amount of suffering in his life. Incredible. But here he is and he's, and he, and he, and he, he's engrossed in this conversation. And um, uh, the, the minister uh, hurried, uh, talked to him. And then... Uh, the youngster was just standing by, never heard it. So, but the story goes, many years afterward, that boy right there could never get away from the influence of that wonderful face he saw. This boy became a famous preacher. His name is Henry Clay Trumbull. Now, if you look him up, you'll see. In the 1800s, he was a well-known American pastor. He actually really helped promote what we'd call the Sunday school movement in the United States. Henry Clay Trumbull. He was that little boy, and he said, I could never get away from that, that glowing face, that radiant joy, and it influenced that little boy. Isn't that good? That's good. I want to have that, and I hope you do too, and there's good reason for it, and let's ask God to help us to have it. Let's bow for prayer today. Lord, thank you.